covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. We've got a good show for you planned today as we continue to talk Brewers offseason. Uh, we'll do a couple housekeeping things, as we always do, before we get things going. First off, if you ever need to get in contact with me, want to get in contact with me, uh, easiest way to do so is on Twitter, where you can tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you don't follow me on Twitter, I try to get some uh, Brewer stuff out there uh, during the course of the week each week, and uh, always appreciate people who do take the time to follow me on Twitter. But you don't have to follow me to tweet at me, and uh, we can continue the conversation on Twitter. Also, uh, if you do listen to the podcast, maybe on uh, Apple Podcast, if you can leave a review, that would be great. That helps us out. It uh, just takes a couple minutes, so uh, you can do that at Apple Podcast, and that'd be awesome. On the show this week, our featured guest is going to be Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. Got a lot of things to talk about with him. His, uh, I guess, perfect off-season plan for the Brewers. We'll get into that, and we'll also kind of dive deep a bit on the Arizona Fall League now that that is officially uh, come to a close. So uh, Brad's going to pull double duty this week doing our social media conversation and also handling our uh, Down on the Farm segment as we talk about the Arizona Fall League. So that's all going to be coming up here on the program this week. Yeah, generally I have a lot to say here in this first segment as I look back at uh, some things. Uh, you know, the big thing that happened this week, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in our headlines, was the fact that the Brewers have uh, set up their spring training facility uh, for the next 25 years and maybe longer than that. I think it's notable. And we'll get into the details coming up in our next segment. But I'll say that something the Brewers seem to be doing, which makes all the sense in the world, is they're trying to really control their internal infrastructure. And look, the way baseball's set up, you can't control everything. But they bought the Carolina Mudcats during the course of the offseason. That's going to set them up uh, for their uh, for their high A team going forward. There's going to be no movement at low A with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Even if they don't own the Timber Rattlers, that is a very tight relationship between the big league club and, and that club. And it's a good relationship uh, with AA Biloxi and a very good situation right there. And you don't get the sense that's going to change anytime soon. And after this upcoming season, the last year in Colorado Springs, uh, there's a chance that uh, they'll move into a new place uh, minor league-wise, and it's going to be uh, a longer-term fit at AAA, wherever that might be. I think the places that are probably still the possibilities for that are uh, Nashville, Las Vegas, and Fresno. I would have to think one of those three locations is going to end up being uh, the Brewers' next home. I would prefer to see it. I think Nashville is probably the best situation if you can uh, kind of get rid of the hurt feelings from uh, from how it uh, how that relationship broke down previously. But even if that doesn't work out, Las Vegas wouldn't be a horrible situation because Las Vegas is uh, building a brand-new ballpark. And from a flight standpoint, you can get in and out of Las Vegas pretty darn easy. So that's a, uh, there's some advantages to go along with that as well. And then their minor league facility. They are in Maryvale for the next 25 years. They're putting money into Maryvale. This is one of the first times, if not the first time, that a uh, minor league stadium has pretty much been uh, a, a spring training facility is the better term to use, not minor league stadium. But a spring training facility has been renovated uh, using mostly uh, club money. They're putting their money where their mouth is. And the other side of it is they have a clause in there that after 25 years, 
they will have the option to buy that facility. So then they will own it. So they own the Mudcats. And in 25 years, they can own their spring training facility. And we'll see what else happens. I would have to think uh, they will try to buy as many minor league affiliates as uh, as is possible moving forward. And it's a, it's a good long-term play for the Brewers. And certainly good to see them do it that way. All right, here's uh, what we've got coming up. Uh, our social media conversation and our Down on the Farm segment this week. Going to feature Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. But before we get to that, Let's get into this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, so we were just talking about it. The uh, Brewers will stay, uh, continue their spring training at Maryvale for the next uh, 25 years, according to uh, Adam McAlvey over at Brewers.com. Some of the items that are included in the plan to keep them there There's going to be a new 65,000-square-foot building that's going to be built along the first baseline. That's going to house the Major League Clubhouse and also training and uh, video facilities, which is something they've been uh, somewhat lacking behind. I mean, spring training complexes are are just crazy now the way they are being built. So uh, they get uh, more amenities and more technology there on the Major League uh, side of things. The uh, first base concourse is uh, going to have more shade, and there's also going to be more concessions and restrooms. So that is from a fan perspective. That's going to uh, help things out. Uh, One of the existing practice fields is going to be transformed to a 100% replication of the Miller Park playing field. Heights of walls, uh, the foul areas, everything going to be uh, absolutely turned into a replication of Miller Park, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, Enhanced parkings for uh, fans. I've heard uh, complaints about parking before. Uh, That is something that is going to be done. And then uh, the building that's currently used as the Major League Clubhouse, it's going to stick around and it's going to be uh, repurposed. And most people feel like that's going to be uh, the Brewers' minor league uh, operation going forward in the minor league clubhouse. And again, the uh, city will continue to own the complex for uh, 25 years, but then after that 25-year term of the deal is up, the Brewers do have the option to buy the entire uh, buy the entire complex, which you would think they would do. All right, so uh, that's that's the big news. A couple of the smaller items of the week: uh, the Brewers have hired a new director of international scouting. Interestingly enough, uh, he comes to uh, the Brewers. Um, most recently, he had uh, worked in the uh, Royals uh, front office, but he's also a former uh, baseball prospectus contributor. So that's uh, that's notable. We have people on from BP Milwaukee. In fact, we had um, we had Nicholas Zettel on from uh, BP Milwaukee uh, just last week. So we continue to see the Brewers front office continue to be filled with people who uh, very much are analytics focused, and now that includes the team's director of international scouting. And also uh, one final thing from a um, compensation from the uh, competitive balance draft picks that are awarded to uh, teams. Uh, The Brewers do have uh, a pick. They are going to receive a uh, compensation pick with pick number 74. That's uh, round B of the uh, compensation uh, this upcoming uh, season. So they have been given an extra draft pick uh, coming up. And that uh, that helps. A, A team that 
really uh, builds around the draft and wants to have as many uh, draft picks as possible, uh, they are able to uh, pick up an extra draft pick uh, here being given that compensation pick. And really, it's a light week. This may be the lightest week of news that we've had so far since we've been into the uh, offseason. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We're very happy to uh, welcome back on the program as we continue our series of off-season conversations. Uh, this time we are bringing in uh, Brad Ford uh, from over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. You can follow him on Twitter, at Brew Crew Blue. A lot of stuff to get into with uh, Brad today. Brad, always appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing today? Uh, very good. Uh, happy to spend my time talking baseball with you. As I'm currently in the point of the season where there's not much going on, and I need to think about baseball in some way or another. So, scratches that itch. I, I'm I'm trying to think the the start of free agency and the start of the off season and everything. This has been a very very slow moving, not just for the Brewers. But across all of baseball, there's been very few moves. Uh, you know, a couple really small trades when the GM meetings were going on. But isn't this? D- does it always take this long to get stuff going, or is this uh, especially slow? Uh, I mean, it feels slower, but I kind of feel like that's how it goes every year. Uh, I think the last couple seasons, just so much had happened by the winter meetings that everything felt substantially quicker. And, but I think this is going to be one of those years where we do have to wait, especially for uh, like the markets to get settled. Because right now, I think we have the problem is we have a few starting like the markets led by starting pitchers and a couple of bats, and you might have bats or pitchers who are better than the ones currently available. So I think they really want that market to get settled out before the free agents start seeking out their contracts. So I think that's really where we're at in the dilemma. And as teams start to shape up and figure out what's available, then we'll really hit the ground running, and you'll get that boom. It always seems to happen in a week or two where almost everyone have note signs. So the, it's just one of those things that I feel like happens. And there's also this year, again, I, again I'm, I'm a prisoner of the moment, but this year there are some players who are obviously in all likelihood going to be traded. It starts with Giancarlo Stanton, but there's some other guys out there. You look at uh, Tampa Bay and you have to think that there's some pitchers there that in all likelihood are going to be traded. Does that? Do you think that plays into it as well, that you know not only are teams kind of figuring out uh, you know, free agency plans, but also waiting to see you know what hammer drops in terms of maybe some high-profile trades that could be happening sooner than later? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think especially when you look at teams who are on the cusp, uh, like I think Tampa Bay wants to find itself somewhere in this happy medium where it doesn't go completely to rebuild, but it does need to restock the farm still. It's a team that, like the Brewers, doesn't have a large amount of income coming in. Theirs is mostly due to one of the league's worst attendance records. And then you have teams that were horrible last year but think they can compete, like one that I'm constantly talking about is the San Francisco Giants, who I think should just burn it all down and start over because they have the assets that are still valuable. But meanwhile, they want to go off after names like Giancarlo Stanton and J.D. Martinez. However, if they find out that what they're looking for is nothing they can do, then maybe they decide to burn it all down, see how things go, and try to fix on the worst farms in the league. Um... So 
I think a lot of teams are in that phase, and I honestly, where they're trying to figure out if they should sell or not. So I think that's probably the largest portion of what's taking the market to kind of figure itself out. Uh, you, and we're going to get into the Giants a little bit because uh, you guys over at Brew Crew Ball have kind of put together a lot of the riders, the offseason plans, and yours is, uh, with all due respect, it's uh, it's about as out from left field as you can possibly have. Nobody else is saying some of the stuff you're saying. So we'll touch on that coming up in uh, in just a little while. But but that being said, how active do you expect the Brewers to be, whether it's free agency or trades? Are, are you expecting a very, very active uh, offseason, or is this one where, you know, maybe grab a couple starting pitchers, shore up the bullpen, uh, find a second baseman, uh, just kind of do the, the obvious need stuff? I think it's going to be mostly obvious need stuff. Nothing like when Stearns first came and he looked over, like, 80% of the roster. I think it's going to be very just, let's fill our needs and keep trucking. However, I do think that in it will be uh, a year where we might see some bigger free agent acquisitions. Uh, the biggest might be, you know, like a, the second tier of starting pitchers, but we might see a couple of them. And anytime Milwaukee reaches into those higher tiers, it is a big deal for us because we never bring in free agents that are, you know, considered uh, wanted by the masses. Uh, we always end up with those players who, if we do get a quality player like Kyle Loesch, it's someone who's sat on the uh, shelf for a while because people are afraid of the qualifying offer. Uh, thankfully, the qualifying offer bite for the Milwaukee Brewers isn't too bad right now, considering they get a competitive balance pick, so some of their um, assets stay a little bit more protected than others. Uh, so I think we could see some pretty aggressive moves from the Brewers, but I don't think the quantity is going to really be high at all. I don't, I don't see a scenario where they get into a bidding war with another team and win, and it be a good thing. I mean, not that I always get frustrated with people that uh, judge kind of this current regime by mistakes made by previous regimes. So it's so I use this tr- just as an example, not as something that could ha- get ha- happen again. But whether whether it's a Supon or a, or a Los or even a Garza, those were situations where they were forced to overpay maybe not even forced to overpay forced might be too strong of a word chose to overpay and they were they were for the most part bad contracts do, do you think they're going to kind of everything i'm throwing at you how would you respond to all that because i, I again i don't think they they get into a battle to uh f, you know a financial battle with another organization for any type of player but specifically a pitcher yeah, and I completely agree with you. Like, uh, one player I know a lot of the Brewer fan base is very excited about is Alex Cobb. Well, it turns out a lot of teams are really interested in Alex Cobb, and it looks like his price is going to shoot to, you know, out of control, which for a player coming off Tommy John's surgery, you don't normally really want to be ditching out five-year, $120 million contract. I think Stern has a perfect grasp on where the team is, and he wants to fill holes to make sure that he doesn't burn the team out. So I think he's still going to be looking to add quality, but we might still be at that type of free agent period where he's looking to bring in controlled quality. I think the only time you might see them spend an exorbitant amount is if he does find a trade that he feels suits the team very well. Um, Otherwise, I do really think that 
he understands where the team is. He understands if he makes a four-year free agent acquisition that it can help a lot, but it's not going to be the move that puts the Brewers over the ledge into this era of competing again. Um, I think he knows we're on the cusp, and he just needs to take his time and make the right, smart decision. We're continuing to talk with uh, Brett Ford from Brew Crew Ball here in our uh, social media conversation. Uh, so, from a pitching standpoint, what are the? Uh, give me a couple, two, three names that you think are legitimate individuals who are who people will know who you know are, are maybe not ace number one type guys, but top two, three guys in the rotation that you could see pitching for the Brewers next year. Right. Um, well, I mentioned the one with uh, Alex Cobb. He's one who excites a lot because he's shown ace potential. He's shown Cy Young potential. Um, but there's a lot of risk going on the market. Him coming recently off Tommy John surgery, only really returning at the end of the season. Uh, he's a really exciting one. And I think the Brewers would be... It would be a bad decision not to look in on him. Uh, he's still fairly young at 30, which for free agent pitchers is pretty good. Um, but again, I kind of get the feeling that with the top not being very heavy and available pitchers, that he's there's going to be a lot of teams chasing after that. Another guy who I think has a lot of potential is Tyler Chatwood. He's coming from the Rockies. He does have a really high walk rate, but if uh, the team can get that under control, he seems to be a guy who could actually maybe like a Chase Anderson where he really starts putting things together and getting substantially better numbers. Oh, he did put up good numbers with the Rockies last year. Like I said, those walk numbers are concerning at the very least. Uh, The other guy who has pitched well recently, I'm not a particular huge fan of, but he could definitely with the current rotation in the top three starters is Jeremy Hellickson. Uh, There was a lot in the trade deadline in July about the Brewers' interest in Hellickson. So I think that's a guy who you could see them go after. Kind of a lighter thrower, and lighter throwers tend to do worse with age. He's already at 31. But he's also someone who, because of that, you could probably sign to a fairly team-friendly contract. So with their interest in him in the trade deadline um, and him being a free agent, it seems like an obvious thing that the Brewers would check into, in my opinion. Uh, Finally... I think it'd be similar to Cobb. I think it'd be really dumb not to look into Lance Lynn. Uh, unlike Cobb, Lynn doesn't really have that Cy Young-type performance in him. But he, as we've seen as Brewer fans, he's a pretty good pitcher. Um, again, because he's coming off Tommy John surgery, I think a lot of teams will be fairly reserved in what they offer him. And there's a little bit more risk in that we didn't see a return to performance like we did with Cobb, who actually had a really good year or end of the year in 2017. So Lance Lynn's another guy who I think could be on the radar. In your uh, in one of your recent pieces that I alluded to earlier, when we were talking about the Giants for a second. You uh you put together an entire off season plan, which is something fun. People can read uh, the off season plans over at Brew Crew Ball. Uh, you're the most kind of a uh, I don't know if I want to use the word inflammatory, but certainly the uh, the the item inside of your plan that uh, that was most out of the box. I'll go with out of the box. Um, had you proposing a trade, Lewis Brinson, Luis Ortiz, Freddie Peralta, and Hassan Diaz for Madison Bumgarner. Now, 
I have to assume that most Brewers fans would be anti that trade because we've been built up on these prospects as far as far as the uh, rebuild goes for for the club. So just give me some of your uh, some of your reasoning behind uh, behind the idea of this trade. Right. So as I talked about before, the Giants were really really bad last year. Um, on top of that, Madison Bumgarner has two years of control. So there is still some control. It's pretty affordable, as in, especially when you're talking in terms of starting pitching. He's only, I believe, two $12 million player options over the next few years. So my with how competitive the team was last year, um, I saw that if you could get a pitcher at the level that Bumgarner is at, I actually think they could make a very strong run to the wild card, probably take the number one wild card spot, if not the division, depending on how the clubs play during the regular season next year, and really have a strong chance of Buff Garner. A lot of fans disagree with me on that, um, but I I think I think they're closer than a lot of other fans. And what I saw in that trade was the Brewers giving up, yes, top prospects, uh, prospects we've gotten excited about a lot, but also they were giving in areas where the team has strength. The team has a strength in middle infielders. The team has a strength in outfielders. The team has a strength right now in the farm and starting pitching. So you can give up those pieces and not necessarily be hurt because of it. Uh, the thing that does stink is giving up two of your stronger starting pitchers, but rarely do you see an elite starting pitcher go and the team not get back good starting pitching in return. The other thing is I was reading from uh, McCovey Chronicle. Uh, Grant Brisby uh, wrote this article on how the Yankees didn't go for the Miguel Cabrera trade because the uh, Marlins went back Phil Hughes, Joba Chamberlain, and Ian Kennedy. All pitchers who Ian Kennedy had a pretty good season, or a couple good seasons, but overall ended up not being who they were supposed to be. So they had an opportunity to get one of the best players, granted he was controlled for far longer than Madison Bumgarner is currently controlled, and they didn't do it. And who would you rather have looking back, Miguel Cabrera or the three guys who really didn't pan out? So to me, I'd always rather spend on that depth and get something elite, especially when you have a team that really seems to has a chance. And I thought that it made a lot of sense if you made the other moves that I make in that article as well, which is to get another higher-tier free agent starting pitcher, such as the names I just gave you, to get a couple of bullpen pieces, and then to get yourself a one-plus-four second baseman to really help level out the the offense a little bit more. So I just lead off the article with saying, let's get weird, because I know it's crazy. I know it's probably not going to happen. Like I said, the Giants seem to be buyers right now for whatever reason, even though their team's terrible and they have no farm to buy with. Um, but it was just a fun idea, and I know a lot of my peers were looking in avenues such as Chris Archer, so I wanted to look at a different avenue. You also uh, went tender and non-tender on uh, on the players that uh, are arbitration eligible: Hughes, Jeffress, Vote, VR, Nelson, Perez, Canable. You went tender on Nelson, Perez, and Canable. We don't even need to talk about that. Um, the I guess the thing that surprised me the most in your uh, for your non-tenders would have been Jeremy Jeffress um, as two point six million dollars, very little money, and we saw 
we saw the Brewers bullpen how badly it was depleted this past year after the you know the the trades of the offseason before and even uh the trades of the deadline before with Will Smith uh going Jeffress going um and, and Thornburg going so I assume they're going to tender Jeffress I think you're wrong on this one at least uh in the sense of doing that do you explain out a little bit why you want to give Jeremy Jeffress 2.6 million dollars so, his peripheral numbers are pretty awful. Even though his numbers overall were pretty good with the team, um, given who I added and the arms I think they currently have that could fill bullpen roles, like Aaron Wilkerson um, and Taylor Williams, are currently better than what Jeremy Jeffers offers the team. And uh, even though $2.6 million is not a lot of money in terms of my major league contracts, um, I just feel that his year last year and a lot of the issues are going to continue, and I don't think he's going to be a strong bullpen piece for the team. That was, I do think they're going to tender him because I think it makes a lot of, but I had to get the 25 man down to the right size. I think he's probably gone in spring training, though. I don't think he makes the team. The nice thing is when you are actually running the team, you can tender him cut him in spring training, and you still don't lose a majority of the money that you'd be owed that season. I... I look at the... I think there's a chance they tender Hughes. I think there's a chance they uh, they, they tender vote. I think the the, the most interesting decision is Jonathan VR, and I don't think any of us has any clue what's going to happen with Jonathan VR. Right. I think they tender VR. Um, it was mostly, as I said, I was handcuffed by the rules going down to 25 men. Um... I think what I ended up doing after the fact is agreeing with some of the people I was discussing with that instead I traded VR for international money to try and make a play on uh, Otani, which is even more ridiculous than the Madison Bumgarner one, although somewhat more realistic Yeah. Um, at the same time. Uh, so trading VR for international money to one of the teams that actually has a substantial amount of it and then trying to make a run at Otani, if not a bunch of the top, or a few, a couple of the top free international free agents from the July signing period just became free agents again. So perhaps making a run with the money you have left over instead of going after Otani. So, uh, however, I think VR makes it. I think they want to give him another chance. I think he's a Stearns player. I think he went out and acquired him because he's someone he likes and someone he believes in. And I think rather than spending money in free agency or giving up more prospects, he'd rather give VR another chance at second. And I think they like Hernan Perez and are hoping Eric Sogard can uh, return to what he was doing last year, even if I don't think he will, and perform in a way that if VR isn't playing well, that they can play him there and get a suitable performance in terms of replacing value. All right, let's um, – so – uh, the and this is funny because we released this late Sunday night, early Monday morning. So there's going to be a, a vast majority of people who are probably listening to this podcast, and these decisions are already going to be made. 
Monday is the deadline for uh, taking players who are not on the 40-man roster and have a certain amount of minor league uh, service time and getting them on the 40-man roster to avoid them being eligible to be selected by another team in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, there's a handful of AAA guys, including uh, Mauricio Dubon, who I would you know all but assume is going to be uh, added. Uh, but as you, I, as you look at that list... Uh, are what what guys are you expecting to be put onto the forty man? Right, um, I absolutely expect Dubon to be on there. Freddie Peralta, I would be stunned if he wasn't on there. Marcos Dipland and Jacob Nottingham are the ones who. And Bruce Blue posted a list. Bruce Ball, I'm Bruce Blue. I can't talk tonight. <laughs> uh, posted the list, and uh, those were kind of our unanimous picks and what we think are going to be uh, put on there. There is room on the 40-man still to add that. I believe the 40-man is at 35 players right now. Um, I'm not really sure if anyone else on that list gets protected. Yeah. Um, I think the only other one deserving of being protected would be because he's so intriguing as Devin Williams. But I don't think anyone's really going to spend that Rule 5 pick to have a young player who hasn't made a plus A-plus a ball and have him on your roster and try to smuggle him through like the San Diego Padres did when he's just now off Tommy John surgery. And I think you'd probably even have to roster him for a little while and not have him on the DL uh, because I'm pretty sure he's going to come back and set the season not ready to go. And- Other than that, I don't really see anyone. Um, kind of Kyle Wren is one who would be interesting, but I don't think the current in- – staff really believes in him as being a valuable major league piece and I kind of hope he goes to a different team so he gets a shot with someone else. Kyle Wren is interesting because if this team believed in Kyle Wren he would have already been wearing a Brewers uniform at some point just based off the numbers he put up at AAA. Right and I think there were multiple opportunities to bring him up last year and they didn't which really showed that I don't think the current team wants him as a part of their plan. And I think if he sticks with the team, he's going to have another year in AAA. Maybe be granted free agency. Um, I think they do see the value in his bat as, from an organization standpoint, having him in AAA and having that outfielder in your system. But I'd rather he get drafted by someone and go be a fourth outfielder on the team and just give him the chance to go do something. Do you think playing in Colorado Springs for his half of his uh, AAA games hurts him? Um, I don't think it does, uh, because these are somewhat similar numbers we've seen him put up in other instances. Um, I think teams know his batting average is going to be a little worse, but I don't think that's the reason, uh, why at least Milwaukee didn't bring him up. And I think despite it being a Colorado spring, some other team would still be intrigued by those numbers to see if they can be replicated. Brett Ford is continuing to join us. We're uh, So we're already kind of getting into the minor league stuff. We're actually going to pause for uh, just a moment and technically switch segments here uh, on the podcast. So uh, we'll, we'll take a quick break, and then we're actually going to go uh, down on the farm with Brad, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the wrap-up of the uh, Arizona Fall League. So uh, we'll be back in like 20 seconds. <laughs> The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. 
It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm, and we do continue to be joined uh, by Brad Ford. Uh, Back-to-back weeks where we've had the same guest on during our social media conversation and uh, also during uh, the uh, the Down on the Farm segment. So, so Brad, that's that's big time, right? You're on back-to-back segments, huh? Right. You know, and I was coming out of the season, so... You know, I think it's time to put it on my business card. I'm official. There you go. There you there you absolutely go. All right, let's um let's look at the Arizona Fall League a little bit. Uh, Brewers uh, organizational players playing for the uh, Salt River Raptors. Uh, let's just just very general general basic stuff here. What stood out to you about the uh, Brewers prospects who were uh, playing in the uh, AFL? Uh, I think the most obvious one is the uh, performance of Monte Harrison. Uh, because everything he did, it seemed he only got hotter as he left the uh, regular season and went into the Arizona Fall League. <laughs> Every time you looked at what he was doing, he was hitting home run. Um, he was, you know, he maintained a high average. And his performance was really just impressive. Uh, for, I mean, it's only in a very, very small sample size, but just in his 13-ish games, he ended up with a 283 average, 350 on base, or sorry, uh, 283 average and a 604 slugging percentage. So he was hitting the hell out of the ball, uh, and, and you know, in just that short time, drove in, or hit five home runs, and at least three of them were ones I were able to watch. I was able to watch on video. And they were monsters. So to see him continue the great progress that he's made from the regular season into this little development program was really fantastic. Um, also, uh, Adrian Hauser, who's coming off in Tommy John surgery from last year, pitched very well for the, a couple of Brewers affiliates at the end of the year. Uh, he also had a very good performance. Uh, only made a couple games, but in those was able to maintain his velocity, um, which is somewhat actually improved from before the injury, or he was hitting somewhat higher numbers from before the injury. Um, Still was getting ridiculously high strikeout numbers, and it's a really promising build up from what we're seeing, or what we saw in his return from Tommy John surgery, and he continues to be a promising prospect. Especially because um, before he needed the surgery, he was looking a little better than Hader for a little while there. Um, and he was supposed to be kind of a throw-in prospect from that Carlos Gomez deal to Houston. So if you can get four players who can reach the major leagues out of that deal, it's pretty exciting. That's a, that, that's a pretty good deal right there. Right, and his little exclamation point on the Doug Melvin's tenure with the team. Uh, and it wouldn't even happen if the Mets weren't afraid of Gomez's hit, which they ended up kind of being right about. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, those were two performances that I really took away and I thought were extremely positive for the Brewers um, as uh, minor leaguers in the offseason. We continue to see Corey Ray not do what we expected him to do. 
Uh, his average 231, his on-base was just above uh, 300. Look, I get who he's playing against here. Uh, from a power standpoint, uh, one home run. He had four doubles in, uh, in 78 at-bats. That This was kind of an opportunity for him to completely erase what was a more negative regular season. If he goes out and destroys the Arizona Fall League, everybody's saying, okay, he's fine. He just had a bad uh, you know, bad year. That happens to a lot of guys. Does, does concern grow at all for you for Corey Ray? I mean, it really does. Uh, he is playing against tougher competition, but I agree with you. It was his chance to go and say, hey, don't have any of those worries. Here I am. I'm actually doing well. But he didn't do that. He Again, the power wasn't there. You always hear about the raw power in Corey Ray's bat that he puts on, especially during batting practice. Uh, he's hitting homers with the best of them, and he only had a slightly over 300. Oh, her slugging percentage at 321, it's not impressive. Um, at least the strikeouts were down a little bit, I guess, only 19 in 23 games. But even his speed, you know, he had six stolen bases out of nine attempts. So you're still getting caught one-third of the time when you're trying to, to steal, which if you're going to have elite speed, is nowhere near ideal. So he continues to be all this disappointing track, I think. Um, it's just you really want to see the guy succeed. I'm hoping an off season where he works on his swing. Uh, we talked about it at the end of the year. His swing is really rough right now. It's taking a long time to get through the zone. There's a couple holes in it. He can't catch high velocity, um, especially up in the zone. So he needs to work on that swing, and it's something he's demonstrated he can do before. So you need to get him back in those old habits and uh, get those mechanics out of his swing. So he saw his potential. I'm not saying give up hope, but I don't blame anyone for being disappointed because I definitely am with how touted he was coming out. The other two position players, uh, Lucas Ersig and Corey Ray. Ersig hits 250, a home run, five RBIs, and 52 at-bats, 14 games. Gatewood uh, hits... Uh, he doesn't hit well at all. He goes uh, four for uh, 42. That's an 0.95 average appearing in 13 games. Uh, one RBI. Anything especially jump out to you about uh, either of those performances? Uh, I kind of think Gatewood was just tired. Uh, <laughs> like I, he was slowing down at the end of the season anyway. Um, even though he, I don't think he ever officially made the roster. Was with Colorado Springs Sky Sacks, so he played or his final league season went longer than it normally does. Um, so to me, given his performance and his, him playing a few more games than he normally does, uh, I kind of just took it as he was worn out and he wasn't really ready to continue a season like that. Uh, Ersig, um, it doesn't pop out. It's kind of continuation of how his season went. Uh, I still think he's a really good uh, prospect. I know this, the management loves him and really loves his makeup and bat. Um, but in such a small sample size, it's really hard to get going unless apparently you're Monte Harrison. And so I'm not disappointed in his numbers. Um, I mean, one homer in the uh, less than 20 games you put in is still pretty good in terms of homers. So it's nothing to be upset about. It's just for development anyways. I don't want to say it doesn't count, but no one's really counting it. So it's just for players to go out there and see what they have against some of the other teams' better prospects and uh, higher-level prospects. 
and really try to put it together. So, like I said, nothing to be disappointing, just not like Monte, who really jumped off the page with his pace and his short time there. From a uh, pitcher standpoint outside of Adrian Hauser, uh, numbers are a little bit mixed. Uh, probably, you know, from an ERA standpoint, the next lowest ERA after Hauser in uh, 10 games, Quinton Torres Costa, four and a half ERA. Uh, John Perrin, 4.7 ERA. Uh, Nate Grief, 5.40. Ortega, 8.53. Kind of same deal. What uh, of those guys did anything especially stand out to you? Um, the one that does is Grief. I kind of expected more from him. Uh, he's been such a dominant relief pitcher for the T-Rats and now the Mudcats. Um, I thought he could actually handle some better competition, uh, but these are all fairly lower-level pitchers except for Perrin, who's been around for a little bit. Um, I really do like the way he looks when he's pitching double-A, um, so he, his performance was a little disappointing. Uh, but younger pitchers and lower-level pitchers tend to make mistakes that get hit by the better hitters that they're seeing. So it's in no means surprising. Also, if you get one bad outing um, and you're only pitching, I mean, even 10 games for Quentin Torres Costa is still a lot of games, or not a lot of games, so one bad inning or a third of an inning can really damage that ERA. Um, for Torres Costa, uh, it was actually nice to see in his 14 innings, those 16 Ks, he continues being a K machine. Had a high strikeout rate this year in my league. He's an interesting potential relief prospect. Um, and also somewhat managed the walks with only five. Um, Perrin, like I said, was kind of disappointing. He didn't, his walks were really high, which uh, eight and 15 and a third is very uncharacteristic of him. Uh, he doesn't have great control, but it's definitely not that bad. Um, so that you'd like to see continue, but he was coming off an injury him most of the season, so you kind of give him an excuse there. This is more of extra time for him to work on uh, his stuff after missing that period. Um, and like I said, I just really thought Greep was going to perform better, uh, given his strong performances so far, but also given his level. It's not surprising to see better hitters take advantage of, um, especially fastballs left high in the zone, which he seemed to get away with some in the, when he was with the Mudcats. So it is what it is. Nothing really brings me down any on any of them. But uh, aside from Hauser, none of the pitchers really <laughs> inspired new belief due to their performance. From a uh, Winter League perspective, I'll finish you off with this. Uh, Winter League perspective, they're getting started, whether it's uh, Venezuela, Dominican Republic. A lot of times we don't really know who's completely there, how often they're going to play, what's going on. There's big league guys who go do this. There's minor league guys. Uh, from your information, from you, you know, and you might not know anything, and that's fine, uh, is there anything you're looking forward to seeing uh, during the winter league portion of the offseason? Uh, based on a video he put out on Instagram a few, or a few days ago, VR uh, will be down there. So it'll be pretty interesting to see um, how he does in a – kind of lower level developmental area um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how he performs as the team tries to get him back on track um, other than that I'm not quite sure of the prospects um, winter league is when I tend to unfortunately kind of lose attention because I'm so excited by the offseason moves and I'm like tra tracking roster moves um, but I, I do put the Arizona Fall League a peg above that in terms of what I value in terms of seeing player performance 
because in the winter league, people tend to be more around a higher level of experience. So it's it's people competing with each other unless or at similar levels, and unless they really blow you away, um, it's not as of note. All right. But we'll see how it goes. Fair enough. Great stuff as always, Brad. Uh, what uh, what do you have uh, coming up uh, soon over at Brook Blue? Uh, Brook, that's your. I did. Now I did it. I called uh, your uh, your site, your Twitter handle. Uh, what do you have coming up at, at Brook Crew Ball? Uh, so we are working on getting ready for the fan vote for the minor leaguers. Uh, every year we do the fans get to make our minor leaguer list. We're also looking at doing a compendium of what all the writers view as the top prospects in the system. Uh, so that should be fun, and if you're really into prospects, we're going to have a lot of good write-ups each day as you pick your new top prospect. Uh, you go down, you have, we have a poll, and you can vote on that. So that'll be coming up soon. Um, otherwise, we're going to keep watching, at least I'm going to keep watching lists, and as some of the top 10s or top 20, top 30s for systems come out, I'll continue to give them uh, reviews and let you know what's behind some of those paywalls. So just keep a watch throughout the off season. Of course, we'll always have breaking news and stuff like that. And uh, we try to put up daily content still, even if nothing's happening. So hopefully it'll be interesting to everybody. All right, great stuff. Encourage people to follow you as well on your Twitter account, which is Brew Crew Blue. Uh, got that right that time. So, uh, Brad, always uh, appreciate having some time with you, and uh, we'll talk again later in the off season. Sounds awesome, man. Brad Ford of Brew Crew Ball joining us. We appreciate him taking some time. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. That's going to do it for uh, the program this week. Just a reminder for you, keep an eye out if you really uh, if you want to do a deep dive somewhat on uh, the Brewers minor league system. Keep an eye on what players are being added to the 40-man roster in order to keep them protected from being picked up in the uh, Rule 5 draft. And uh, there's going to be some names there. I think uh, we hit on those with uh, Brad. Absolutely, there's going to be some uh, people added to the 40-man roster during the course of Monday. If you're listening to this after Monday, go back and uh, check and see, I guess, how right we were uh, in our conversation this week. Thanks again for being tuned in. We look forward to talking to you next week. Oh, yeah, don't forget, have a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I am very thankful that you take time to listen to this podcast every week. If you weren't listening to it, it wouldn't exist. So uh, thank you so much for uh, that, and I hope you and your family uh, or whoever you spend Thanksgiving with, that's just an absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving and that you're able to get a break from uh, whatever stress might exist in your life. If you have any, just get to put it away there for uh, a couple days later on this week. So have a great Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, we will talk to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.